once built a railroad. My name is Matthew Kroll. And it's not art. I'm Elise Brando. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Velvet Buzzsaw. And as you might have noticed with the quoting going on at the beginning, Elise Brando from Speaking of Carrie is in the building right now co-hosting with me. Hello. Hello. That's my buzzsaw noise. Shahir Dowd is currently still across uh, many ponds. I think there's he quit. nine. There's nine. He quit. He quit. He quit. Well, they, he he's across nine to ten ponds in New Zealand right now. Uh, so I figured, why not have one of the two co-hosts from our sister podcast, Speaking of Kerry, uh, the Sex in the City podcast, uh, done by for all of the lovely fans of that show. And uh, I thought I'd invite you on to talk about a film. I thought. <laughs> that you would have a lot in common with, but I will say you don't. <laughs> I don't think that's a good thing. Yes, it is a good thing. A uh, spoiler thing. alert for a little bit of opinions, but no, Elise. Uh, Elise is a um, an actress mm-hmm. and also an artist. Mm-hmm. So I figured, oh. okay. I was like, this would be. Uh, listen, you you've been in films, you've been in TV, and you also like do really really good art. So I was like, let's. This all makes sense for what I assumed Velvet Buzzsaw was. Now, granted, none of your paintings have come alive in mediocre ways to murder people. Only fabulous ways. Only amazing, <laughs> fabulous ways. Only sexy ways. Uh, so I wanted to have you sort of on, you know, on 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 this show to to talk about this film because I was excited about this movie. Can I tell you something? Have you seen other Netflix trailers? Yes. Do you think they'd give you too much? Oh, 100%. So this trailer, okay. we, when, when we were sort we of... We stopped watching this trailer because I was like, wait, we're going to see the whole movie, basically. Exactly. A and cliff note version. So I had seen the movie before, um, and I won't. we won't spoil anything too far in advance yet. But there's <laughs> the a couple... The whole movie's rotten, There's right? a lot of deaths. There's a lot of deaths, <laughs> and one or two of them is spoiled in the trailer, and I stopped those deaths before you saw them when I showed it to you. Well, thank God. The trailer itself for this film, uh, if you haven't watched it, go watch it right now. <laughs> And then do uh, nothing else. And then, so uh, Elise's <laughs> opinion is jumping the shark here. But Sorry. I, uh, so the trailer actually sold me. And then me what, too. And then when we, you're too. like, oh yeah, let's do this. Let's talk about this. And this looked like had it was like going to be some. There's some fun. Now, Maybe not complete perfection, but like oh, okay. Yeah. And the the really interesting part of it was I knew that that Shahir probably wouldn't want to do this move maybe you would i hate speaking for him but i was excited that you were excited and now i feel kind of bad um <laughs> that we suffered like we, that, that we it, look we didn't suffer we, we didn't did not suffer because i'm starting a new career and i'm taking up mystery science theater 3000 and this is going to be my first movie yeah? that i is that riff what on we're doing yes uh, what you should do, you should watch this movie high or with friends, and then try your your luck at riffing because this is the this is your your jungle gym to get those. This muscles. is your training wheels. This is the movie to train on. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, we will get more into depth about that. Um, but before we do, I sound like such a jerk. <laughs> well, we're gonna. But but so we, a lot of times on this show we do say a lot of harsh things about a lot of films and people that make them, but we also do want to. Uh, Find the good. N- not even find the good. Just, again, reiterate sort of our, our motto. That is, we understand that it takes a lot of people, a lot of time, and a lot of energy to even get any film made. Correct. Uh, and I I don't believe that there are many films uh, ever created that are, have been done in such a way that is purely in a vacuum or, or in the sense of like just for monetary gain, etc. Sometimes it happens. I don't even think Velvet Buzzsaw is one of those films. I, I honestly believe there are people behind it that believed in it and worked incredibly hard at it. Uh, we will discuss the problems that it has, but I just want to say that straight up top because it's going to get dicey. Um, yeah, I got to work on my Buzzsaw but sound effects. Well, we, we can have you a, teach me, Matt Kroll? See, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And then if it starts grinding into your neck, it's... That's like also like you like drowning and getting electrocuted at the same time. Hey, listen, I, like I have many talents. Uh, two but, birds, but, one stone. But before we get into the mixed bag, I'll say, that was Velvet Buzzsaw, let's talk a little bit about some current events mixed baggage. Another mixed bag. Yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't want to go too deep, but I do want your opinions on this, Elise. Okay. 
Oscars just happened. It sure did. Oscars happened the last Super Sunday Bowl night. Super Bowl of my life. And and I know Shahir <laughs> will be dying to talk about what happened. Oh, but I'm here first. But you he are here died first. across uh, the pond. He's fine. He's fine. He didn't buy any of Dee's Nuts painting. Oh, uh, you're he, gonna know what that means later, but you don't now. But <laughs> Dee's Nuts is a is one of the many mystery science theater jokes that you will put what? into. Uh, God, I hope Jake Gyllenhaal listens to this. He, uh, he he listens every week. Thank God, uh, Jake. Hello, Jake. Um, you need to take but, a lap. But okay. hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, on, on. all right. <laughs> Oscars. Hot takes from Elise Brando. What, what did you think of the 2019 Academy Awards? Oh man, um, what did I think? Oh God, that's such a broad question. Um, I thought they did fine without a host. I agree. The I that uh, let's let's go positives, right? Yeah. I thought the stage looked like a pretty pink wig it was wearing. Sure. That was pretty cute. Looked like it was from Hairspray. Uh, I thought, um, I did not read a lot of articles about it. Actually, I read none. I read headlines about people being very scathy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go back to good. Um, the host thing. I honestly think it made every presenter kind of buck up a little bit more yeah. and like kind of take ownership over the moment, I guess, is what I want to say. Uh yeah, I was I was into that. So the the no host thing, I am now a hundred percent on board for. Um, it makes it a little bit more of like what's going to happen, but also everyone's like gets a chance to have a funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and like, and it's it's not going to be like overshadowed by like the host commenting uh, commenting on your presenting. Yeah. Later. The the thing about the host is it is sort of the time killer. If they're looking for a shorter show, which I mean, again, I go back to the who is the Oscars for. Uh, you right. know, it, I like the, what I like that. The problem uh, is no one's ever watched something that w- that they were really enjoying and were like, "This is too long." Like it's just sort of like, Ugh. Uh, but but that cuts down on the time if they're worried about that. If they think audience retention, if they don't have enough trust in their show to keep audience retention, then sure, that's a great thing. It did move fast. It made it gave more agency, like you said, to the presenters themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, and we did, and the audience had no idea what was going to be next. Which yeah, is kind of nice. Which is very nice. And then, you know, you have Julia Roberts at the end kind of doing the, the, the real Awkward. quick end wrap up and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, Everyone was pink and pretty. What do you think? I mean, uh, highlights for me was Dana Carvey and uh, and <laughs> um, and Mike Myers. I thought that was very fun. Though I did lose power in the cabin that we were at uh, very briefly due to the winds, the high winds at that moment. So I didn't get to see the whole thing. I didn't actually get to hear the Dana Carvey thing. So oh. I was talking over it. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, it was, it was never meant to be. I loved... Um, Olivia, um, Olivia's uh, best actress speech. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was so, so, so nice. Um, it was very good. Uh, I liked a, I, uh, a lot, most women that have ever won uh, in one season. So that's a fun fact. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, what else? Uh, the All the acceptance speeches were lovely except for the last one. <laughs> well, the, yeah, I mean, we're going to get to the sort of uh, the elephant in... Uh, the musical guests were great. Uh, I, I really love... Queen lo- opened up. Queen opened up. It wasn't really a montage. It was just two songs. Yeah. Adam Lambert's So Glam Rock, and I've seen him in concert with Queen, and that was nice. I, I have strong opinions about that film, but as a show and Queen doing what they do, good job. Yeah. I Very mean, good. Uh, Black Panther cleaned up uh, a bunch Great. of stuff. Uh, you know, yes. production design. Her speech was lovely. Uh, also, uh, the, the, what, the one that killed me the most, though, honestly, was Bohemian Rhapsody for best editing. And, yeah, and no. It, and it Did ca- it win best? It what, won best editing. What was it up against? Um, it. Oh God, I'm trying to remember. Uh, but it definitely was not. I, I've just been blindsided and sort of thrown this whole category out uh, uh, out of my uh, purview because that movie. You know, look, I love Queen, and that can get you very, very far down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go back mm-hmm. to listen to our, mm-hmm. our Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody review. But that movie's editing no. was by far some of the worst I've seen in a long, long time. It was messy. And uh, it was messy, but it, it's hard to be messy and boring. And that's what that movie's editing was. I, I haven't seen messy and boring I don't God. know if it was boring, but the but the in the room like with the producers, the, all of those scenes, which were like five thousand years long, were like, what are we doing right, right now? What's um, what is it <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, of course, uh, the elephant in the room uh, being Green Book, uh, winning Best Picture. Um, I did you talk about Green Book? We did. We did. We, okay. We, so we've reviewed every film that was nominated for Best Picture. Good for you. 
yeah, I guess. Uh, what would have your pick been? I mean, I wanted Black Panther to win. I think if you if you take into account, we talked about this before, so I want to reiterate too much. But if you take into account both the quality of the film and the cultural impact the film had, and the meaning for the film behind the most amount of people, I would say that qualifies as a best picture of the year. I do think the Oscars are very political, and then yes, yeah, and they're also the median age is what sixty two to sixty six or something like that. And you're voting White for your friends, men. though, yeah. man. Well, they're you're voting, voting for familiar things. Mm-hmm. Like Green Book is a film that I feel like would have won. I mean, it has. I mean, driving Miss Daisy won when beat out Spike Lee. But the <laughs> the it's it feels like a film that would have won 15, 20 it years. It felt ago. like it was filmed fifteen or twenty years ago. I'll it, tell you that right now. It um and again the, the thing is I when, sound like such a jerk. Well, oh God, you, I love those two actors with all my heart, and they lit up every time they were on screen. Ursula and Vigo. Uh, the, uh, yeah, they, they no no. Again, it takes a village, and you can't just shit on one person in that village when talking about the downfalls of the entire village. It just felt very, like, pre-9-11. Sure, but it also, I mean, I've said this before, I don't think I, I might have said it on the uh, the podcast, and you can go back and listen to our Green Book episode, but it, it, it was a film that tried to make white people feel okay about racism, or feel better about racism. Mm-hmm. And there have been films like that before, uh, but it didn't like I, I was even when we did Green Book, I was trying to posit positives from it, so we didn't just purely like just be like because when I watched it, I was like, this is fine. Again, the, the quality of the film itself, like just the the if you watched it in a vacuum, it's like a six out of ten for me. But you can't yeah. watch something like that in a vacuum, uh, and that's a huge issue. And the there are there were multiple films. I think honestly, other than. This was sort of an interesting. I think uh, Into the Spider Verse should have won for both. I mean, Into the Spider Verse was one of my That's absolute my favorites. No, I, the favorite was great. The favorite was wonderful. The favorite was really fucking good. Yeah. What was wrong was that with your, the favorite? Was that your pick for Best Picture? I think so. So I saw Black Panther. I saw Green Book. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. I saw Vice. I saw The Favorite. What else is there? You saw Star is Born, right? Yes, I saw Star is Born. You saw Black Klansman? I saw Black Klansman. Did you see Roma? I did not see Roma. So you only were missing Roma. Which did really, really well. Roma, yeah. I mean, Alfonso Cuaron did work and got awarded for it, I think. So Shahir wanted Roma to win Best Picture, I think, outside of Black Panther on that list. I would have personally gone with the favorite, but Roma was was sort of right up there, too. Um, Why do... I know A Star is Born. There's nothing wrong with A Star is Born. Okay, yep. And it's, it's what I've coined as sort of... Because I really enjoyed myself, but then that's also like, but this is the Oscars, it's so a this super is like a familiar, different yeah. thing that we're putting against. So. It's a super familiar story, but told, of course, but that's told, right. But that's told right. excellently. It's nothing that's going to surprise you or shock you or whatever, but it's a comfortable tale mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. told to precision, and that's something that I very much respect. And I think honestly, it should have been a nominee, and it was. It just never should have won, and it didn't. Correct. So okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Although no. I would have taken a Star Is Born over Green Book. Anyway, I'm sure Shahir and I will will dive into this more once he returns. <laughs> uh, any other standout moments before we jump on to the soup du jour? Oh my God. Oh, um, I, I. It's so it's so much now. I I used to be I used to be like every, I, it, it was my Super Bowl for a long time as an actor, and it's just there's now there it, it's I don't know. I guess the SAG after the SAG afterwards are now my my Super Bowl. That's that what I want to say. Um, yeah, and also Golden Globes because television television's gotten so good that this is kind of like is this even necessary? It doesn't have the weight anymore, and they don't know what they're doing because television is the production of television and the stories uh, in TV are. Good. Yeah, I mean they've definitely climbed to to equal in certain uh, in certain retrospects. The interesting thing is going back to the question of who are the Oscars for. Like you just said, they don't quite know. And if I'm looking, if, so if it's supposed to be like to award the best in craft, that's still tainted by both the politics and the the pomp and circumstance and the presentation that they're focusing on. So I can't. I don't actually think it it actually, in a weird way, because they've wavered so much. It has given more credence and more importance to SAG-AFTRA and to Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also so, SAG-AFTRA, the actors are voting on the actors. You don't sure. get a bunch of old. You don't get a committee voting who have ne- have never been behind a camera or have never been a director or who have never been an actor. Right. 
personal opinion, though, I don't think you have to be an actor or a director to judge uh, a performance. I think no. Um, I think it helps in a lot of different ways, but I don't want to shoehorn us into that sort of. Do I think that the Academy is the best people to be judging what is the best? Absolutely not. I think you need uh, fresh blood, so to speak, across all of the production aspects. of I really film just and think television. it's like t- telling people where to move their money to the next project and what production house. Yeah, it's like oh, this is an Academy person, so now. If you, th- this person's going to have this kind of clout, but now I don't even think that like if you've won an Academy Award, it usually bites you in the ass as an actor. How so? People don't work much. Some people yeah. do not work a lot after they get an Academy Award. Holly Berry, you don't see like it. Just like uh, um, Adrian Brody, like they get these. You see some. There is some pattern to you get the big award and then not all the time. No, not but all the you're hundred percent. You, you might have struck onto something there because there is, uh, you know, in any profession or or endeavor, mm-hmm. uh, there is whether it's real or not, and a a hypothetical end game. Mm-hmm. And the Oscars for a long, long time for filmmaking. I mean, it it is considered in many circles the end game. You get an Oscar, and of course, that doesn't mean that you have to retire. But it might take out of certain people, or or the way people are handled, uh, like they've made it, and then like, what do you do? Like, and they lived happily ever after, and you're like, but I'm 37. Like, and then like, <laughs> but yeah, let's say like you you win an Oscar, and you're. Uh... And then you want to go do like an indie something. I don't know if your team's going to go let you do that indie thing. Like they'll, do you know what I mean? Like I, it might, keep, like it might close doors on certain markets. It does depend, I think, on the. I mean, this is a, the dumbest thing I'll say all day, but it depends on the quality of your team and how much how much people that you've entrusted with you you sure, trust. Sure, everyone can make a bad decision. Yeah, no one's. Um, yeah. But also, like you know, if if if. How how you want your team as an actor to handle your image and your quote brand? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you ultimately have say over that, and you know you ultimately have say over how much day to day say you have in that, which actually might be a great transition into the film we'll be discussing today. How um, did all of these people end up in this film yes. that we just watched thirty minutes ago? If Matt you Kroll. if you have any answers, lovely, lovely listeners, you Please. can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at onlymoviepod. Uh, we but, would love to hear your Oscar thoughts uh, first and foremost. In fact, if you send them in now, by the time we're back and she hear, she hears sort of uh, comes back, back on, to life, on, yeah, we we've resurrected him through the stylings of art. Maybe we we pull his arm out of a giant. reflective sphere and he's okay Um, (laughs) then we could discuss both uh, your thoughts and his when he returns Uh, so give us all of your stuff there also please iTunes stars we know we know how valuable those are I love stars listen please give us as many as you can I love getting them I love giving them five of them at a time right that's my favorite good Yes. But one thing, I feel like we've done nine transitions now at this point, but one thing that won't be getting five stars is Velvet Buzzsaw. And the moral is tattoos are art. Well, I'm, well, they are, um, but that's not the, what I would consider the moral. Cats are a great, people's feelings for cats are, is a great, um, gets Things it, moving. It's a narrative motivator is yes, what you're talking about. Yes. I mean, it's it, that was the most human thing I'd seen in this film was when cats led people to do things. What else was human? Nancy. Nancy! What was the actress's name? Uh, n- uh, Natal- uh, N- Natalia Dyer. Natalia Dyer. It was super fun. The realest thing. I enjoyed the hell out of seeing her in something else. I've run into her in real life. What? I, right. I told you that. That's right. Uh, I was at an escape room, an 80s themed escape room. Room. Not a room, uh, but a all room. All right. Let's not talk about New England for just two freaking seconds, Midwest. Uh, <laughs> Virginia. I'm down south. Oh, down we south. say room. Uh, room? We got your room at the Hotel 8 by Waffle House. Whoa. A pocket card, Harvard Yard, and pay the guy a quarter. All right. Um, but I ran into her at a 80s themed um, 80s themed escape room, and I, w- I walked. I was about to go up to her. I was like, oh, I think I've worked with this. I didn't like recognize her from Stranger Things, but it was one of those moments when you work in entertainment stuff. I was like, oh, maybe she was an MTV person or something. So I was about to walk up to her and someone swiped me aside and was like, oh my God, do you see who that is? And I was like, oh yeah, were they at MTV? They're like, no, that's Nancy from Stranger Things. And I was like, oh. Uh... <laughs> I was about to be like, oh, hi. <laughs> she was like waiting for her friends or something. It was very weird and fun. Oh, that's cute. Um, that's, you're cute. I, it, was, it, was my, it was a nice moment. 
I love that moment. Um, but but the director uh-huh. of the film that uh-huh. we are in discussing right now, which actually I should do the IMDb thing for. I hey, think. Uh, hey, hey, you know that thing that Shahir makes you do? Yeah. You should do that. I'm going to do it. Do it right now. I'm doing it right now. Because people don't know what the f- Can I cuss on hey, this? Hey, yeah, yeah, you can cuss on this. Piss. <laughs> yeah, baby. That was a little bit derailed, but we're just going to read what IMDb says Velvet Buzzsaw is about. Here we go. After a series of paintings by an unknown artist are discovered, a supernatural force enacts revenge on those who have allowed their greed to get in the way of art. I mean, that's not what it's about. It's not. That's not what it's. I mean, it's. It, I. I. I have this thing when it's a little bit misleading. Like you could. You could interpret the film that way, but that would. That would require. Um, a resolution of some kind uh and it, it doesn't really have one uh oh my god this movie is in this movie is so god the, uh, i'm not gonna say another complete word you will you will so know. let's break it down real quick so the director of this film is dan gilroy uh, who has also done Nightcrawler. And I liked Nightcrawler. Um, we had an interesting... We I think we did a pod... We've done too many movies. I believe we did a podcast about that. Go back and listen to our thoughts on Nightcrawler. But... My thoughts were great on that episode. I... J- <laughs> yeah? You feeling punchy? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I am. We haven't been drinking champagne. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the point of this is... Uh, this, I feel like, was... Much less cohesive than Nightcrawler. Uh, did you see Nightcrawler? I did not okay. see Nightcrawler. And Rene Russo was also in that. Yeah, and Jake Gyllenhaal was in that. So yes, like, was. I, that was sort of like, I was like, oh, they're back together. Because I liked their interaction, even though parts were odd in Nightcrawler. This felt like... <sighs> oh, man. This is... Okay, here's what I want to ask. Here's what I want. And then we'll get sort of back into the directing of the film. Because I'm not sure where the fault of this film lies. Because here's some positives I'll say about it. It looks passable the lighting is good the camera movement is serviceable i agree i disagree really yes i see i think it's here's the thing i think it's competently made from a technical angle it's not doing anything to wow you by any means of the imagination but it didn't like nothing was ever an affront to me with the exception of a few edits that literally crossed the 180 rule um, that's what you're not really supposed to like do a complete 180 around a th- more than 180 degrees from one camera point to another. You can break it in certain uh, occasions, but a lot of times it's just really jarring and not in a fun way. Um, but I'm trying to figure out where the fault in this movie is. Oh, I think it's definitely in the camera direction. I think it's definitely in the lighting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, is it just and, because and- it's it just because it's serviceable and sort of boilerplate, or you think it was actually like so bad? Because I would honestly say. The, the script is the fault, is the major fault point of this script film. script is no good. Some of the acting is no good. And I think the acting looks worse than it is because of how it's filmed, the music behind everything, oh, yeah. and the lighting. Let's I, break it down piece by piece, though. Okay. Um, what do you want to talk about first? I was going to say, I wanted to ask you, for as an actress who yes. has read many a script. I have met read scripts, and, you've and had I do to that act, for a living. And you've yeah. had to act scripts that you didn't particularly believe in, I'm sure, at one point and another. Right, you have to make it sound good. Right, and that's a skill. But that's these, hard. I know. But now, let me ask you this, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend this movie. It's real. It's, it's, it's hard to watch in a non-ironic way, Sub-pizza? which is funny. Shh. All right, all right. P or whatever you said before. Piss. piss. <laughs> <laughs> it, pieces of it are a piece of piss. Um, uh, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled piss. The gross. The thing about <laughs> the thing about this film. Is it the script is written? Here's how I would describe how the the, the style of the writing of the script is: um, a college student who thinks that they are sort of like Aaron Sorkin, but also thinks they have an in on what people in the art industry who sound also like. read graphic novels. Now what's okay? Now you're attacking graphic novels in general. What's no! the what's the what's the problem with graphic novels? Where did you get graphic novel from this script? I got like a lot. There's just like so many expositions and there's so many places we go to. We go to a lot of places. There's so many, there's so many different scenes and a lot of them aren't necessary. And it's just like, oh, that would be a beautiful page of a graphic novel. But you're talking, is, you're talking from the cinematography perspective and they just sort of like had like punch-ins. And of... then also just like, there's so much exposition. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. So I, I listen. I made films in college. They're terrible. Uh, they're, they're, I have one called Consequence. It's about an, a vampire and an angel fighting. No one will ever see it because it's buried in the vault. But I wrote garbage like this: long-winded, like monologues with big words and what I thought were deep ideas. It's... And and this, right? It feels like that. But from a perspective of like what we think high society art sellers and critics and and you know managers. I think are. if you're gonna, it's such a art is so subjective, and if you're gonna talk about like an art thriller horror film, you have to have a better tone. Well, we're still talking about the script, right? Sure, but you but the, the okay. script definitely has a tone to it. You, I mean, that makes total sense. Oh, the script, yeah, but like the way it's shot and like the locations, the actors are acting pretty big. Yes, they're tr- they're acting in a medium frame. Okay, so that's like from the waist up is yeah. Um so like they know that their frames are kind of wider. So they're going a little bit bigger. If your frames like right up your fucking nostril and you're like in first man and you're Ryan Gosling, you don't move and we see all the thoughts in your brain. Um but like also with them, the camera moves around a lot. And so it just looks garbled. It looks like dumb like why does the camera have to move with those angles there's no purpose for that it doesn't like punch in on certain things for the audience to pick up on it does it, it's just it didn't know that like you need the lighting and the acting and the directing and the script to all work together oh i mean all of the all of the um the the groupings and the teams that you just described feel completely disparate from from one another correct um the I guess I just didn't have a maybe here's the interesting thing I guess I guess I didn't have a problem with the uh camera work uh the cinematography the lighting etc the locations because But then keep your characters more still. Well see that's the thing and that that falls into more directions for me. Like I think the the I don't know the DP's name off the top of my head. They must have um, gotten into some fights. Well I feel like the director and the DP might have or 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 it could have been maybe Mr. Uh, Gilroy is, is sort of the director, and I have no idea. But actually, Nightcrawler had some good shots to it, so maybe he just had a maybe it's the same DP. Um, but the it felt to me like it was it was directed. Well, it was a writer director, right? So there's there's something that can backfire oh, that can it, it, it can <laughs> backfire on occasion. <laughs> no, because you know I find that a lot of my best work comes from collaboration as opposed to just me being in control of everything. Because uh, I can, I, uh, you know, we, I think we can all be guilty of loving the smell of our own farts from time to time. Like, it gets to the point where yeah. you're like, right? Like, you have an idea and you're like, no, this is great. And people are like, well, what about this? And you're like, no, this is great. And you're like, oh, all right. <laughs> like, so I can see falling down that trap. Uh, I don't think he was really caring about the camera. I just think he let whoever was doing it do whatever they wanted, and he was trying to focus on this script and getting the actors to say it in a way that was the style he wanted, but that was that was wrong. It was long. It was too long. Yeah, it was long. Um, Way too long. So long. And we didn't know why. And like the scary parts weren't scary. There was nothing scary about that movie. It was so predictable. We were so ready for the scare. Yeah. And and also like I wonder like I just wonder like because it got made and this is what it is how how who what what executive producer said this note what director said this note why did we keep it in like this why did the editor give us this how did we get this how did we get that here jerk? with so many talented I want to watch the film about making this film like that's what I want to see the interesting thing here is something I've sort of dubbed the Netflix syndrome. And Netflix, because Netflix has a lot of money. And they uh, paid no taxes, I think. I, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> about that. I know Amazon didn't. I don't know about I don't know about I don't Netflix. think Netflix paid any taxes. Um but they here's billions of dollars. But the so they have they have billions of dollars to spend on creating media, right? Uh-huh. And they also are of the of the narrative, and we've seen it throughout the, all the different things that they've greenlit television shows, films, etc. Sometimes you get like aroma, mm-hmm. and other times you get uh, the Cloverfield paradox. Like there's, they don't care honestly about quality as much as quantity, and that's a value. It's a valid business model, but I think that what they do, what they do, is they find people that have had previous successful projects, or at least that are attached to previous successful projects, right? Like Nightcrawler. Yep. 
then they'll be like, oh, he has the director and writer of Nightcrawler wants to do a movie for us, and he can bring us Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Rene Russo? Fuck yeah. And they let them go and do whatever they want. Sometimes, like in a case like Roma, uh, Alfonso Cuaron comes in, and it's a fucking it, – because it, he has the this mastery of the craft, and it's rock and roll. But we don't know who, say, on Nightcrawler, for instance, was the one to turn everything around to make it sort of better. It was a, definitely a team effort, as all films are. So sometimes you get – People because just money is enough anywhere, and they're like, "Yeah, come make this movie for whoever money, however much money it costs," and they don't check in as long as it's just there, and they just want the names attached to the thing. We have a lot of that on Netflix, and I don't think it's bad to do that, but I think it's an explanation of how this got made. I think it intensifies the badness of how many good actors are in it and how bad it is. If it was some people we weren't reckon that were not recognizable by the masses. I wonder if it would be like we'd be more forgiving or something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe. So I thought Jake Gyllenhaal did fine with the oh. character that I did not like. Um, but then we're supposed to kind of like him by the end. But are we? Because there's know. no real main character. It's funny. We're talking about this in, in platitudes because it ba- makes very little sense. Jake Gyllenhaal is the art critic. Uh, and it's this whole art world. So there's buyers and there's art managers. And like there's all this political gallery turmoil. Owners. And, yeah. like, and that's so muddied and just so just like and no one quickly cares. talked over. Yeah. Like uh, it, it, the only way, the only one, Tony Collette is a good actor in this. Jake Gyllenhaal is just eccentric, but like I'm like, but why is that? Because of the writing, I don't like what he's doing, and like it's he's a, he's bisexual, he's a bisexual character. Is that? Ooh, wow, he's bisexual. Like I think it's great to have bisexual characters in things, but I just like. But maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe that was I don't know. What were your thoughts on him being a bisexual character? I actually, you know, why I liked it was because it wasn't a thing. I like, will it, agree. It, it was not. It was not fetishized, nor nope. was it the point. It was just like, oh yeah, people are different, and people, some people are bisexual. This character has to be bisexual. I agree. The sexuality never sort of played. I in. just wanted him to be a good person and well, bisexual. <laughs> well, I mean, he was. No one in this movie is a good person, except for Nancy. Uh, Na- Na- her name's Coco in the movie, and I was like, oh really? Yeah, it always came up on the phone, Coco. Why not? She's from Illinois or whatever. D's nuts. <laughs> oh, so the reason... Uh, <laughs> so guys, so the evil that they're all fighting is um, a psychotic man, bad childhood, painted in blood, um, had science experiments done oh on him. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Ah. And so it's his paintings. So there's an old man that dies, who I guess is the artist. The old d- man is, is the artist and a low person in the in Rene Russo's art circle uh, one who's one of the main characters who uh, was one of the the worst actors of them all finds the body and then follows the cat into the apartment to find like thousands of paintings that Are everyone bad. They're fine. No, they're I know they're, they're bad. fine. But but here's the thing that happens with with films that are like that are films that are about artists. A lot of times it's about writers that makes it the problem. But when you have a film about artists and you have to have characters be like, this is the most moving art piece you've ever seen. Of course that will never work on screen because even if the even if, and I'm not saying these are, but even if the art was good, great, it's still subjective, like you said earlier. And that does, like, you will never get, like, that's just a huge hurdle for a film to get over anyway. And this one just runs right through it. I do, they could have taken a little more time and made it, it's like good art for like decades past. And here's the deal. Well, the guy was like 80. Okay, fine. You look at this art and you see whatever you see things that start to haunt you and the art takes over. I guess we don't actually know the rules. The rules are not well because that IMDb line says your greed is going to kill you. Where you, it looked to me, those people would look at a painting and then become obsessed and twitch and tweak out and like try to like it's get chicken, the most out of it. Chicken or the egg sort of syndrome as to what actually causes the bad shit to happen. But like. And, th- and so this painting, but there's no rules about how, so usually the painting evil strikes at night when you're alone. It's sometimes that piece of painting. Sometimes it's someone else's art. Um, it, sometimes it's uh, the art. Uh, infects uh, other art? Yes. Uh, so God. before And we- it also infects, like uh, in Lord of the Rings, like it's Sauron and like like when you put dip the one ring into gold or like into like the volcano it everything turns like orange lava which is ridiculous well that it is ridiculous. Dro- they just drop the ring into the lava but the lava is what i'm saying the oh, paintings you're talking about the, the paintings do like start burning all the Burned time into evil lava um and that is 
a waste of my life. So here's a scripting and story uh, editing problem that I think a lot of horror movies fall into, and you can totally see it in you can see the the opposite of it in movies like Ringu or The Ring. Um, You've seen The Ring, right? Yep. Forever ago. Uh-huh. That movie and the horror of it, even though the premise, if you're just like, oh yeah, it's a VHS tape that kills you in seven days, you're like, first of all, what's a VHS tape? And second of all, like that's dumb as shit. But the movie works. So, well. And the reason is there's a distinct set of rules that the movie never breaks from the, the, the rules of that world. And the characters inside of it don't quadruple speak around the rules or try to like make you feel dumber for watching them talk. There's just uh, you you get into a social contract as you do with any great film uh, or piece of art where you become invested in it and you start living vicariously as opposed to just pointing and laughing. This movie tries to get across the ring sort of style of there's a cursed object based on a a, a long dead person for whatever reason. And if you do something with it, you will die. However, it's not as simple as seven days being whispered across a phone once you pop a tape into a a VACR. It's like you have to like hold the painting and then maybe sell it. And then it's not the painting that kills you. It's not Samara crawling out of a TV. It's uh, you see a ghost behind you when you're in a truck carrying them and then you crash into a gas station and then you catch on fire. Then you put the fire out. Then you walk in and find a, a, a completely random painting of monkeys fixing a car that has nothing to do with the paintings that you're carrying. We'll suck you into the painting. And then they try to pull you into the painting. Like, there's, uh, and there's, then like, you're, you're going to be in someone else's art installation and then you look up and then a random hand grabs your tie and you start like choking yourself. We're giving a lot death. of spoilers, but it, they all didn't make sense. Here on out, we're going to get like spoiler, spoiler heavy. So be prepared if you haven't seen Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh. Oh my um, god! But and then like the tattoo. Oh, <laughs> that movie's namesake. Um, every oh, so let's even I talk, talk about, about the that. acting. But anyway, go well, on. We can. Yep. Uh, but every sort of like important moment in this film is telegraphed to high hell. Yeah. In the beginning, we find out that Rene Russo, who is now an art critic, they have a random uh, sorry, an art uh, gallery curator and and oh no, an art manager, an artist manager. Yeah. You know, one of those things. Uh, she it used to be in a punk band called Velvet Buzzsaw. And you find out about that sort of like, it's one of those things that happens in movies where you're like, oh, that's a random conversation that has nothing to do with anything, but I'm sure is important, so we'll come back later. But she has another tattoo on her arm well, that we have to look at a lot. She has a lot of tattoos because she used to be very punk is sort of the, the And thing. it was like, no, art is nothing in 1986 or something on her wrist. Yeah. So so we'll come back to that. Um. So so with the the this eventually the characters find out or figure out Jake Gyllenhaal's character figures out that it's actually, you know, they he thinks anyway, he posits that the art is what's cursed and anyone who sort of um makes money off it is in trouble. But we never learn that from anyone. There's like there's like three third tier characters in this movie that are like private investigators for people or like all this other stuff that try to find out like about the old man to figure out what's, you know, at first it's like, oh, people are arguing over the legality of selling his paintings. Yeah. But then there's one thing where it's like, oh, yeah, uh, he was abused and his father, uh, he, he, he burnt him to death uh, slowly because he abused him as a kid. And uh, then, uh, oh, then, then he went to a mental institution. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Oh, and then. And then he did. They did experiments on him, like in this throwaway line. Like he was, he was in a mental institution where they did experiments for twenty years, and then he came out and painted. Criminal these things. Minds has better montage flashbacks. But like, also, there's there's two main. On. Not only is this structurally shit, <laughs> it's doing something that I really fucking hate in movies. Uh, lots of movies uh, handle mental health issues correctly, and lots of them don't. But this one doesn't even. It goes above and beyond the shitboxness that it actually even because it doesn't even discuss mental illness at all it just literally uses the fucking trope of mental hospitals being terrifying places that do horrible human experiments it on was people. just so so just like a, it was a it, caricature and it plays into the narrative and i really hate this about um about media in general of course there are hospitals and things that have done horrible things to people across history but like the the narrative in media about mental health establishments is like oh they're gonna fuck you up worse than you are like that's really what has been in most film 
Yeah, these days. they always go like electrotherapy because, like, I mean, we thought at the time that that was a good idea, right? But it, like, you know, mental health facilities these days, if you pick and choose the right one, like any hospital or any business you'd go to, are not all nightmare factories. And things like this help perpetuate. Um, if you are feeling like you have uh, that you need assistance with your mental state, when when all media is doing is telling you, oh no, fucking that de- mental mental facilities are fucking for they'll hurt you worse. Like you're not gonna go and get it, and that's just a personal pet peeve of mine. It sets you up. It sets the the public persona of mental health facilities as like a negative, and so when a car- when a movie like this uses that as a crutch, and it wasn't even necessary. He could have just been an abused guy that burnt his father to death and then figured out a way to cause vengeance in paintings. Like, that would have made just as much sense. Gosh, this was so bad. (laughs) It's such a bad movie, guys. I'm sorry. I want to, like, review something good. Who was good? Um, Nancy from Stranger Things was good. Tony Collette was good. Everyone chewed scenery, but she chewed it, uh, and, and you could tell she was having fun with the meal. Well, not only that, a lot of times when Rene Russo would talk, I'd be like, yeah, okay. There was a lot of names. There was a lot of deals. There was a lot of like negotiations. Um, All of which was completely tertiary. Um, and then you would talk to like, um, what's his name? Who's in like uh, Game Night, who's also in Maniac. Um, the guy with the earpods. Bo- the guy that got killed by the monkey. Killed by the monkeys. Uh, <laughs> the things he said were like, kind of just a little too eccentric and like just a little over the top um john malkovich you believed wholeheartedly of course jake gyllenhaal i was just like "Eh." but okay back to my point renee russo just was a mean like art dealer who like uh, who played dirty and but i have no fucking clue what she's talking about but then when tony collette talked about art and like trying to like negotiate and dig in and like have perspective and get what she wants it was so much clearer and with my acting classes and like when i train or when i watch acting or when i'm acting with someone and you get these law and order scenes or you get like i don't spend 24 7 in a courtroom i don't know what that is but oh i have to go audition for law and order and i have to fucking figure it out right when i start to understand it and i'm doing a good job of like telling the story that needs to be told You'll have people in the room where, like, before they didn't know, then you tell it with the adjustments and you're doing a good job. Then they're like, oh, I know what's happening now. It makes I know sense. what's happening now when she would say anything. And then there was the one guy with glasses. The one guy. Oh, you gets, hated him. I hated him, one, because what a terrible choice to put him in those glasses because we can't see his eyes. This is an, uh, uh, the, a character that is sort of the foil to Rene Russo, in a way. Another arts manager slash gallery owner slash dealer. no. We don't know. All of them hired Nancy from Stranger Things, though, and Nancy found a dead body in every one of their galleries. But continued to work for them. After the first dead body, she just kept going. Um, but this guy wears these glasses. What the, the wardrobe was pretty spectacular, and honestly, you would watch the movie for the wardrobe. The wardrobe was so chic and sexy and weird and avant-garde and like well done. You just said a nice thing. I did. I like the wardrobe. I want to wear those things that they wore. But... um. Oh, also the guy from Hamilton was good. He yeah, was very grounded. He was pretty good. He, he was the only one that grounded. felt like a person. He other... felt like a person. Yeah. Uh, and um, But uh, this guy with the glasses, you could not see his eyes. And he always turned away from the camera. He never opened his body to the camera. John Mel, you'll notice that is a good example of people who are open to the camera to catch how they're telling the story and someone who's not. He also had this scene with Nancy. I feel bad. What's her name? Uh, Natalia. He had a scene with Natalia. Go, go. Where she is interviewing to be an assistant there and he's like blowing her off, whatever, until she has a piece of information that sparks his interest. And then he comes over and starts doing this weird like sexual predator stance, like talking over her part. And I'm like, that's not the story that needs to be told in the scene. That's not helping the story. That almost feels like it's like trying to make your character have another level. But that's not this story. And I think as an actor, you have to remember like, yeah, you can do all this character work and we can see all this stuff. But does that serve this story? It didn't. Right. Was there a story to serve? We have no fucking clue. Here's but. the question about the blocking thing about opening yourself to the camera. 
Um, sometimes. Yes, there's sometimes you want to be away, and then there's sometimes you want to be there. It depends on the scene and how what needs to be made a point. In your experience, and behavior. Has that, it's has, behavior. Has that been your choice? Or if you say if you happen to not be opening yourself to the scene on something, has a director come to you and been like, oh, actually, could you just open up a little bit? Absolutely. Right. If so it's, it's get, both, right? It's yeah. the actor's choice and the director sort of noticing it or not noticing it or their preference. I think regardless, you want it like... Your eyes, you, we will have to see your eyes. I am 100% in agreement with, with your statement. I was just asking, it, for, oh, peop- yeah. for people that are not in agreement with this, would, could a director be like, you're distant, so turn. Like, You can be distant and turn, but you, but like. There's ways to do it. There's, it's, it's all behavioral, and it all has to, and you have to have specifics, and you want to, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a visual medium. And if I don't see your eyes for the entire time you're on screen, I don't care about you. I don't care about what you have to say. I don't care why you're here. I don't care what you're doing. And I've lost interest. We definitely laughed at his death. Um, he dies. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, but he, uh, there's, it, it's funny because all of, oh my God, all of the setups for the deaths, like. Are so long. Well, they're so. They're long. Hold out. on. I'm giving a compliment before I tear it down. Let's, oh, let's, let's try to okay. be uh, right. The setups, like if I described it, for instance, is uh, it's he. There's an attic installation in his in his art museum, and he steps into it because a camera star- or a projector, excuse me, starts rolling, uh, and you start seeing footage of what you assume is the young, the old man as a young boy being abused by his father, sort of thing in there. And he steps in it, then all of a sudden it stops becoming an art exhibit, and he's in an actual attic. And yeah, then, how, what? But no, no, but like, and then, okay. and then he like sees a light bulb flicker, and he goes up, and he sees the old man, and the old man like grabs him by the by the tie and hangs him. Now that is a ridiculous situation that I just portrayed. But again. It's no more ridiculous than a little girl who fell down a well happens to say seven days to you over a telephone after you put in a VHS tape that happens to show her crawling out of the well and then she comes out of the TV. Very the, true. The story's not the, the the story is not the problem, but the, the the dialogue and the way the story is presented through that dialogue and the choices around and I, it. I is. do think tone lighting. What they chose to show, the, I I do think like the nah. so maybe that's it's it's so interesting the different the different things we don't like because where I was <laughs> so mean I do like movies I do I know no oh yes I hate movies I mean no of course I I I'm the one on this show that likes fun uh, but I didn't really have a fun time watching this I but like it's funny because I didn't think about fun this. to make fun of it my yeah. God I didn't think about this until we just sort of started talking about the ring because it's a ridiculous premise. And I think what elevates ridiculous premises to being something we can accept is all of the stuff that you said bothered you more than it actually initially bothered me. It's your cinematography. It's your lighting. It's your blocking. Like, it's it's the A building blocking. of where you are in conjunction to the camera. And I will say, this is something that you brought up and then I wrote it down. Uh, the music. You want to talk about the music? Bad. I, what I mean besides bad, it just sounds like from a different. It's from another TV show, and I wonder like if you took the music out of it, and you watch Jake Gyllenhaal like dissect a piece of art and get into it, I might be more compelled. The music really does not do it any service. It was a combination. There was some harp. There was some other things, but like there was even a part where after a fade to black or a cut, there was like a a a, a, a what are those called? No, it was like, like a. a there's a, a glissando is the word. Uh, it was like when you strum a harp at the end of a thing. And I was like, what the fuck are we? Wa-? I actually wrote that point in my notes. I was like, the music is fucking clown shoes. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. And it, it really just takes you out of it. Like yeah. completely. There's no question. Um, <laughs> We're so mean. But man, it was bad. You know what? It was mean to me. It was mean to me first and made me watch it for two hours. So I wanted back. I wanted to really like this movie. It was something. And, you were excited. And, and it was something that I... I don't want to say I should have known better. Uh, I, I, the, I, the only reason I say that is because we're doing this a little bit late in the game. It was released a few weeks ago. And there was really no fanfare or conversation they about it. They probably wanted to hide this in the shuffle as fast I as I think possible. it has a 63 critics on, on Rotten Tomatoes and a 32 audience. It's not doing great. <laughs> not that those things should matter. 63? That's so high. Uh, eh, it's middling. But that's the thing. Like I think you have to measure... Not only like quality of film, but like star power behind it. We have John Malkovich, Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, uh, Tony Collette. Uh, you know, like these are these are main these are powerhouse actors. 
Yeah. And due to the Netflix effect, we're in um, what I would consider, I don't know, a, a, a fairly subpar Okay, film. so the lead actress um, is, uh, what? oh God, she was in Blitz with, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Jason Statham. She oh. was in Nocturnal Animals. She was in Sherlock. I mean, she's done stuff. She was, but she not was... a lot of stuff. And she was, guys. I'm sorry, she wasn't good. I mean, you have no. I, but you know what? This I could have been understand. direction. This could have been direction. It could have been direction. And I don't just want to say someone that's like, oh, this is bad. I honestly think it's it's a combination of direction, script, choice from the actor. Uh, it, whenever she was on screen, other than when she followed the cat, I was never. I was. She never seemed human to me. And at first I was trying to make excuses, right? I was trying to make like, oh, like maybe she saw the paintings and now she's acting a little crazy. But that's not what we were presented with. She just made the choices to start acting crazy about I the I think like she was like coked out or something. Yeah. It was weird. She had like these twitches. And then like, ah. I want to talk about something I really liked. It's the star of the movie, in my opinion, is Hobo Man. Of course you do, because it looks like... It's a it's a robot and it's a man. It's Iron Man, no, but it's horrifying. All right, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with comic books whatsoever. In fact, I don't know where your graphic novel stuff is coming from. I think uh, Hobo Man. Hobo Man is an art installation that they're walking through. There's the a first graphic game. novel about Hobo Man. <laughs> I don't. If there is, I haven't read it. Uh, you. you <laughs> I'm just being a dick. You're just being a piss. Piss. Um, <laughs> there's an art installation that Jake Gyllenhaal and company are sort of like looking at, and also it's like the art installation. I don't know if. It's all supposed to take place in Miami and LA. And in Miami, there is the festival. Um, it also skips back and forth. Basil? With ease. Yes, Art Basil. And uh, it looks like like just an expo for art, which is. You it said looks it like, was the Javits Center. It looks like the Javits Center is like an expo for HP printers. It doesn't look like an art, but maybe that's. I don't know. When I saw all my like Instagram stories from art festivals in Miami, they did not look like that. So that was interesting. But at least, but at least. We're talking about Hobo Man. <laughs> so Hobo Man was the face of Saw. <laughs> Hobo Man was this art installation that was like literally like an animatronic robot that said the thing. It was one of my quotes before, but like just moved around. It was sort of like uh, trying to be, a, I guess, a, a, a parody commentary on homelessness. And when, when the movie had the very few moments that it did, because honestly, the movie is mocking the art industry. And the movie is, it, in its own weird way, punishing the art industry. There's very few times in this film where I thought they got the critique correct. And Hobo Man and all of the sequences, as dumb as it sounds, I actually thought the critique of the art community and what is considered art and then like what they sort of turn into and they say it's about a human experience but it's actually about dollars, it all sort of culminated for me in the Hobo Man exhibit. Okay. Uh, the rest of it all felt like, you know, word vomit and fluff that they were trying to get around to sort of like sound arty. But this was something that I actually was like, oh, this is an actual meta commentary by the filmmakers. Because it's it's people latching on to a thing that they think is, is uh, ridiculous, but they are acting like it's amazing because other people are acting like it's amazing. For profit. For profit. And that's something that I think the movie started and wanted to grip onto, but as it went further and further, Agreed. it spiraled down. Agreed. Even though Hobo Man makes a great appearance at the end. Uh, Where did he come from, though? Who? I know! It makes no sense! Uh, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. This movie actually makes... Probably about so as much sense. sense as the Cloverfield Paradox. What was Cloverfield Paradox? It was the third oh, movie in the Cloverfield Anthology right. that Netflix bought because... Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was great. 10 Cloverfield Lane was great, but they bought it from, I forget, whatever studio because they knew it, was, it wasn't going to make money, so they bought it for like $10 million, and they made a Super Bowl ad for it a couple years ago, right. and then they made something like $12 million, and they're like, we did it, even though it's shit. Uh, like, they made a profit. Netflix is smart. Like, And that's why I, I, when, I, when I see movies like uh, Velvet Buzzsaw... I mean, it's got to be profitable in the long run in conjunction with the rest of their business models. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. It also felt like they did. the actors didn't know what scene they were filming what day, and it was all out of order. I wonder and how they many had no idea. Yeah. And I wonder how many rewrites and how many like, oh, we're going to add the scene. Oh, we're taking the scene out. Okay, the scene is actually like, I really wonder. Yeah. I really wonder. Because none of the, I bet they're like, okay, we're going to actually film like the, like the three-fourths of the way in. We're going to start with this scene first. And it was just like, 
Uh, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a confusing mess, and um, I so final God. thoughts as we're closing cats out here. Were in it. Two cats, cats were in it. Cats were in it. Um, and I would follow them till the end of time. One was a sphinx cat that was adorable. Uh, sorry, Zoe. Um, yeah, I don't recommend this at all. Unless um, you want to get like high, drunk with friends, and then like make fun of it. And it's a blast. And it's making fun of it to, uh, that is made in a sort of a, uh, and again, I won't say an effective way, but a competent way. I would never call the the filmmaking techniques are are low, but still like it looks better than a college movie. And that's not a high bar I'm setting, but like it looks like a movie. It just doesn't look like a good movie. I, I, I don't want to like, I, I hate when, when people that talk about films like it's shit. All of it's shit. Nothing's good. It's like, no, it's just not, it's fine. Uh, it it it's it's a wasted potential of a of a cool premise, as we've seen time and time again. What would make it better? What what are the three things that would make it better? Um, Just three things. You characters three. that talked like humans. Oh. Um. Uh. Learning. Um. Set and lighting design for ridiculous situations, a la The Ring. And and implementing them. Yeah, having a tone. Having a tone. I wanted this. This had gonna, no tone if, consistently. Yes, if you're going to if you're going to comment on the art scene and the monstrosity that it is and how hypocritic it is, hypocritical it is, and how much of a scam it is, you have to be an art piece too, and you have to do it through a certain artistic lens. Yeah. Like, let's really paint a world. Like Amelie, paint a world, or like let's like. Let's have like it's all black and white. It's all sepia tone. It's all film noir. Just some angle. This could have been a rom com. Some of the lighting. This could have been like a bad saw movie. This could have been like uh, nocturnal animals. Like sexy. I'm in the bedroom, but then a hand grabs me from the painting. Like it was. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't. I need that. Well, and the third. Because like the ring. The ring is dark. It's always foggy. There's no bright colors happening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's why the VHS tape, like, a haunted VHS tape and it's, works. And it's so funny. Oh, sorry. The third thing I would do is just more Hobo Man. But the, um, the uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Silent Hill film I forever haven't. ago. Uh, it's based off a video game that's re- pretty well acclaimed. You glasses and you see things. No, that's, okay. uh, that's They Live. Um, okay. But um, the Silent Hill is the same tone as The Ring, but like campy and B-movie. But it sticks with it, and in my opinion, is still effective because it chooses a tone and runs with it. This one just didn't. So uh, don't uh, don't watch it if you don't... It, it, again, as Alyssa Lee said, like, you, you can choose it and watch it with your friends and do some Mystery Science Theater training, and you yeah. might have a good time. Yeah. We had an okay time. We, had, we, we, we sat there... We laughed a lot sometimes. We were having a day before this recording, and um, both of us having difficulties in various aspects of our lives. And uh, this was... I'm not going to say the perfect film to watch when that happened, because it didn't make us necessarily feel good, but it was good to chat through. It made me feel good I wasn't a part of the movie. Wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the only podcast about the film Velvet Buzzsaw. Elise, <laughs> thank you so much You're for coming. You're having me on again. And, and filling. No, I'm going to bring you on for something more positive because you get dark. I'm um, sorry. Uh, when, when you are not filling in for my favorite New Zealander shoes, where can folks find you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to get so many mean, mean DMs. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Elise Brando. Just at Elise Brando. All lowercase. Um yeah, you, I'll be on a TV show on Comedy Central coming up. Um, I have my podcast, Speaking of Carrie. Yes. Yes. Uh, I. Um, you can find me on NBC Sports, acting with Daryl Hammond from SNL. Nice. Um, on a On a series called Draftsville. Very um, funny. Very fun. Uh, there's two seasons of that. And uh, yeah, I'll hopefully a, another TV show soon. We'll see. Yes. So yeah. Good deal. And uh, you, of course, can find me and my life and works at MatthewKroll.com, M-A-T-T-A-G-W-K. Arrowell.com over there. Also, uh, Skeletor, the number four, Pierre Easy on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, you can check out some of my work with the glorious team over at Extra Credits. We just hit two million subs on that beast. So check that out on YouTube. We have a lot of good stuff coming out. And uh, yeah. Oh, also, I'll just plug Shahir. You can also see Shahir's work at ShahirDowd.com where you can find much more intelligent discourse on uh, film than either of us could ever offer. Fair. I mean, it's funny. Elise looked really upset for a second. Then we both sort of were like, 
I no. Mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, look, look, there were some good things that happened today. The last scene, if you watch anything, just watch the credits. We're not going to tell you what Don't happens. Don't spoil it, but John Malkovich is a treasure. That's you, all I'm saying. Just the credits honestly almost like redeem the whole movie. And John Malkovich is in it. Yes. So there's that. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Please uh, check us out or send us in your thoughts about Velvet Buzzsaw at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or add us at OnlyMoviePod on Twitter. Uh, also drop those stars on, on iTunes. You know that would be nice. And uh, next week, you know what? I'm promising next week something more positive. Oh. Because I don't want to be uh, the show that always poops on stuff. No, that pisses on things as we... Yes. <laughs> Uh, and we had to do this. Sometimes you have to put your foot down, uh, even when it's for something that you love. Is that art? I don't know. That was a bag of trash. No, that's actually what happened. In, in the, the film, show. it was a bag in of trash. In the film, someone thinks it's art. It's art. And, and John, John Malcolm Malcolm goes, like, that's, that's not, not art. art. That's a bag of trash. <laughs> Let's end with that. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.